All right, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew, in the back of the pew in front of you. And if you don't have one, um, that is our gift to you. You can take that home. We love God's Word at Westside. We're actually going to start in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Let's start in verse 27, and then we'll read through uh, the, the chapter of 13. When you're there, say, here is love. Okay. Starting in uh, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Verse, or chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. hopefully a point um, behind all of this, and I do need to say from the outset, I don't know what it says of your preacher that I had to borrow honors cords um, and those types of things, but um, in our educational system, it actually is heavily influenced by the Latin culture, and so oftentimes when you look at the etymology and the history behind words, they come from a Latin root word. And so in our educational system, they honor some of the highest education by some phrases, cum laude, magna cum laude, and then the highest honor that you can get in education is summa cum laude, which means it is the highest of your class. And it actually in Latin means 
worthy of highest honor and of highest praise. And the text that was read to you today at the end of chapter 12, verse 31, the Apostle Paul stops abruptly in this teaching of spiritual gifts. And he says, let me show you a more excellent way. And it actually means a more higher way, a better way, if you will. And today, Westside, we, we end our series on one and many talking about spiritual gifts and the church. And we end today with the highest subject, the best subject, the mark of true Christianity. And so all of this is just to get this point across to you today. Biblical love is better than any spiritual gift. Biblical love is better than any spiritual gift. When we talk about what is the highest in Christianity and the greatest honor that any Christian could have bestowed upon them, it is not these miraculous high spiritual gifts, but rather, as the Apostle Paul says, it is simply the idea of love. Or to put it succinctly, just sort of like it says, love is the summa cum laude of the Christian life. And this passage is, is really familiar. It's, it's read at weddings. Um, I was actually at a wedding yesterday, and it was read at a wedding. It's great. It's beautiful. has nothing to do with weddings, but that's okay, right? Because it's a beautiful passage. If you noticed, I think this week studying this passage and having spent six weeks in the spiritual gifts, this passage has meant more to me this week than it ever really has in my entire life. Um, one commentator put it this way, It is clear then that chapter 13 must be studied in the context of the rest of Paul's letter to the church of Corinth. Otherwise, it remains mere words, noble and even ennobling, but only words. When applied to a local church, it becomes dynamite. It uncovers all the weaknesses, gaps, failures, and sins in any Christian community. It is particularly a challenge to any church which has seen outward success in its ministry. These words cut us down to size. They humble us because we begin to see what really matters to God. They redirect us as a body of Christ to our true calling. It is good for any congregation to assess its life together from time to time in the mirror of this passage. And when you read it, it's almost like it doesn't make sense. I mean, he's talking about apostles. He's talking about tongues. He's talking about miracles. He's, I mean, he's on a roll. I mean, he's preaching. He's a preacher man. He's flying in this passage. And then he goes, well, but wait, 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 wait. Um, there's actually something better. And it devotes an entire chapter to this understanding of what love, biblical love, looks like within a Christian community. It's the summa cum laude. It is the highest. But I think we need to define love, right? I mean, because, you know, I love my cat. I love Taco Bell. I love my wife. Not in that order, right? Okay, right? Um, I mean, we say this all the time. Just this week, I just asked a simple question on social media, and it required almost 180-plus responses of love is blank, and then people filled in, uh, you know, sort of funny responses and all types of things like that. 
And the scriptures define this for us. And very simply, biblical love, as defined biblically, is the godlike virtue of self-giving and self-sacrifice. Biblical love is, is the God-like virtue. That's why in 1 John, when he says, God is love, he does not say, love is God. For that is profoundly different. That statement, God is love, is just as much a defining statement about God as it is love. Because what we believe in Christianity is that our God is not just some um, being high above in the heavens who created everything and spun it like a top and then stepped back like a deist and whatever happens, happens. But love is relational. And so when it says God is love, what it's saying is, is that God is a relational God. And then Jesus tells us in John 13, he says the highest honors... The summa cum laude for my followers. How people will know that you are my disciples is by the denomination that you're a part of. How people are going to know that you're my disciples is what you're against and what you post on Facebook all the time. If you win an argument on Facebook, then people are going to know. That guy's a Christian right there, buddy. People will know you're my disciples by these miraculous spiritual gifts that you have. I mean, that you guys look like the Avengers. No. He very simply says, the world will know that you're the highest honors, the summa cum laude, that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. Like how, you know, people are always like the Bible, man, the ancient documents, 2018, man. We have smartphones, we've been on the moon, right? Unless you believe in conspiracies. But you know, like all this stuff, man, we're advanced, man. And Jesus says almost 2,000 years ago something that's so relevant that the most attractional thing about a covenant community of believers, not the program, not the music, not the preaching, not anything, but it's by the way in which they love each other. And how profound is it that in such an unloving world that that sentence is as relevant as anything in the Bible that Jesus says they'll know. And so I ask myself this question, man, is, is Westside a loving community? Are we a loving community? Listen, we're not a perfect church, all right? So don't you dare put those expectations on us because we will let you down quick, Okay. We're not a perfect church. I believe we're a good church. I believe we're trying at some stuff, okay? And I kept asking that question, and then it dawned on me. And, and, and this is the statement. We, we first can't answer the corporate question, are we loving, until we first answer the individual question, am I loving? Because it's not like just first this, this corporate understanding and looking at us as a whole, but rather we've understood this, and this is the tagline. We are one of many. And so we answer the question of, is Westside a loving community? Are we marked by the summa cum laude of what Jesus says is the highest mark and honor of a disciple? Not by saying, are we, but rather Am I? And so today is, is one of those messages that is massively convicting um, this week 
There's been multiple scenarios in my life where just the, these verses have just rung over me after I just was an idiot for a couple of moments and then thought, wow, this is the mark. This is really true. And so the argument in the passage is biblical love is better than any spiritual gift. And then the Apostle Paul is going to give us five statements as to why that's true. We have to support that thesis statement. And the first thing is this. Love, not gifts, is the point. That's what he says in verses 1 through 3. Love, not gifts, is the point. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all profound mysteries and knowledge. By the way, this is Paul, right? Remember that guy? The whole, like, was going to kill Christians, hated Christians, met Christ, became a Christian, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Kind of a big deal, right? Who um, one day got to go see the third heaven. That's a good day, right? I mean, some pretty miraculous stuff happened to this guy. And he's saying, all of this, I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all away that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. A lot of commentators believe that these are some of the most controversial um, verses that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And there's a reason why. When he says, if I don't have lung, uh, uh, lungs, I hope I have lungs, right? If I don't have love, but I'm, but I'm a noisy gong, but I can speak in tongues and have all of this, he's, he's writing to the church in Corinth. And this was an uber-urban city. And it was surrounded by many, many pagan religions. And one of them that we understand in the marketplace, right? So the marketplace wasn't just where they bought and sold goods, but it was also sort of like an advertisement for all types of worship and faith. One of the pagan religions that was there worshipped the ancient goddess Sibylle. So Sibylle was understood to be the goddess, sort of mother nature. She's the one who who held the earth in existence out in space. She was the one who sort of made the natural things happen. And the way that they worshipped her in the marketplace was by banging noisy gongs in light to show that that was worship to her. Then the Apostle Paul says, I can deliver up my body to be burned. Now, that's super controversial. You know why? Do you know who was getting burned back then? Christians. And we, lo- and we know later on that the Roman government perfected literally the art of crucifixion, right? That's how Jesus died. And so what, listen, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I can function in spiritual gifts I can speak to, I can have visions, I can have, I can do all of these things. And if I don't have love, then I am no different than pagans who don't love Christ. Do you understand how controversial that is? Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying He is saying that pursuing love is the point of the local church. That's what he's telling the church in Corinth. Hey, guys, calm down. 
It's not only about the miraculous and all of these things. Because, because what separates you from all other religions and all other streams of faith is not the miraculous. What separates you from all other streams of faith and is the summa cum laude defining aspect of you is love. It is love. Love, not gifts, is the point of this. And then he goes on to say the second thing. Love, not gifts, is the picture. That's the picture. If love is the point, what does it look like? Well, the picture is love. And then the very, very famous verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. So what he does in these verses is he says, here's what love is, and here's what love is not. And so let's just walk through these. Love is patient. Anybody else already failed, right? First thing right off the bat, right? I mean, I say this all the time, and it's true. Amazon Prime ain't fast enough for me, bro. I mean, I order something, and as soon as I've ordered it, I just went and checked the tracking. It's not even delivered yet, and it's always an earth city, right? (laughs) It's an earth city, and then it's on my doorstep. Like, I have no idea. Like, love is, it's patient, and then it's kind. So, So this isn't like doormat kind. This is kind in the face of unkindness and hostility. When he says love is kind, he's saying love is kind in the backdrop of hate, discrimination, and the like. Love is patient and it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. That's a slap in the face in 2018 in social media, right? Where we post what we had for breakfast. Or Pinterest, what I wish I had. What I'm dreaming about. Right? It doesn't boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Rude actually means in the original language a tone. A tone. And, and, and this is a word for the men in here today. In 1 Peter it says, Honor your wives as the weaker vessel. It has nothing to do with less of value. It means of being delicate. And men, there are times when we can say What? Our wife could make a statement and we just respond with, what? And we have violated this scripture. Listen, you might be right in what you've said, but if you're wrong in how you've said it, you're wrong even if you're right. Are you following what I'm saying? Love is not rude. Here it is. It does not insist on its own way. That's the self-sacrificing, self-giving aspect of the virtue of God. That love doesn't demand that love has to be this way. Um, Courtney and I, in our marriage early on, we, we struggled, and we're very open about this. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I did in, in our marriage was I loved her the way I wanted to be loved. So I bought her like Air Jordans and stuff all the time, right? <laughs> So, so like, I'm a romantic at heart. So, so, so like flowers and the sappy and, and all of that type of stuff. I expressed my love. Do you know how selfish that is, by the way? Right? 
And some of you are like, I don't get it. I'm doing all this stuff for her all the time. I'm going hunting with her. I bought her a new bow, man. I mean, what's she all mad about, right? You wanted one. All right, let's just go ahead and put that out on the table, okay? And maybe you're into that, and that's awesome. Here, here, here's all I'm trying to say. Is that when you try to love someone the way that you want to be loved, it's the very definition of what love is not. It doesn't insist on its own way. And then here it is. This is the one that got me this week. It's not irritable. Could have done without that, Paul. I mean, listen, I'd apologize this week to some people just because I had not enough sleep and almost lost my salvation. Like, I mean, it, I was just, I was irritable. I was completely irritable. And do you see the chain reaction? When you become irritable, you become harsh. And when you become harsh, you insist upon your own way. It is a chain reaction. It's not like singling these out and going, oh, I'm patient, but I could really work on this. No, 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 no. It's an all or nothing encompassing thing. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Listen, that's massive for 2018, where love is a bunch of butterflies, right? And unicorns riding around, sprinkling fairy dust everywhere. And we can never tell anybody that anybody's wrong. It does not put up with wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. But, but, that is in the package of kind, patient. Not irritable, not rude. I learned this week, and, and a guy just spoke into my life. I'm a big truth guy, big truth guy. And so oftentimes I can say things such as, um, what's more loving than the truth? What's more loving than the truth, right? Well, how about this? How about how you say it? Or how much in that moment, as this preacher taught me, that someone who needs to receive it can handle in that moment. So love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Here it is. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Do you know how low our capacity actually is for love? I mean, the moment that we're hurt, the moment that something doesn't go our way, we hit the eject cord and parachute out of that situation. That's why the fairy tale mindset of marriage oftentimes gets crushed within two years when you realize Nicholas Sparks lied to you, right? And you're in Popper Bluff and you got through eating Coltons or Tios and you're like, well, what's next? Guess we'll walk around Menards in the Christmas decoration section. <laughs> Take some pictures there like we're in a winter wonderland and then go back home, okay? And then all of a sudden we, we eject out of this. Here, listen, here's what the world needs. The world does not need another picture of power. That's all anything ever is. Domination. The world needs a powerful picture of love. That's what it needs. I mean, when you look from sports, when you look to politics, when you look to anything, it is squash the competition, look out for yours, do whatever you have to do to prove that you are right, and in the end, if you're right, then you're right. And there is a wake of bodies left behind us. The world does not need another picture of power. What it needs is a powerful picture 
of love. But here's what's important. This is in the context of the local church. So this is not something like on a coffee cup that we read in isolation and we think, oh, that's pretty, and then I'm going to go about my day. This is written in the context of living this out with other people. And that's oftentimes where we hit the eject button, is that we actually think that we know what love is, but then when we live in community and we realize that it's difficult and somebody in my community group just can't get it together, and so what I need to do is I need to switch it because they just don't get it because I got the... And then we opt out. And so maybe this will help, right? So um, caterpillars, right? Um, we, we know the process, right? Caterpillars, they do the cocoon, They go into the cocoon, and they come out as butterflies, one of the most beautiful things within nature that we see. But the caterpillar has to go into something to come out like something. Christian community is the cocoon for change. You can't do this apart from rubbing shoulders with People. And you know what else I found this week? This is, this is a word. This is great. Do you know that when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, that it defecates on itself because it's trapped in the cocoon? Oh, but that's not wasted. Do you know what gives, through the scientific process of nature, do you know what gives the butterfly colors in its wings? The very fecal matter that was in the cocoon with the caterpillar. So here's what I'm saying. Even the stuff that you have to put up with in your life that you think is a waste is actually doing something in your life. Do not eject out of community because love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. Love is the point, and love is the picture. But it's the picture within community. So what we do tonight at the Fall Fest is not something just to put on the calendar to give you something to do. All of our schedules are busy, but what we understand is when we come together, break bread together, share fellowship with one another, that we are rubbing shoulders and we're showing the picture of the summa cum laude, that biblical love is better than any spiritual gift. Love, not gifts, is the point. Love, not gifts, is the picture. And then the third thing is this. Love, not gifts, is permanent. Love, not gifts, is permanent. Look at what he says. Verse 8. Love never ends. Wow, Jason, you do this for a living because it's right there in verse 8. Yeah, exactly, right? Then he says this. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Here's where I disagree with sensationists. They believe that the closing of canon was what Paul meant with when the perfect comes. And then all of those supernatural gifts will cease. Now we love the Bible here. But I believe that the Apostle Paul is speaking of Jesus. That when Jesus comes... I was reminded this week again, um, I'm going to be out of a job in heaven. You know what I'm not doing when I get to heaven? All right, guys, open up your Bible today to the book of Romans that was written by Paul to the Romans. 
about Jesus. And I'm going to explain what this... No, no need for that. There's going to be no need to prophesy or to speak in tongues or to do any of those things. Why? Because what he is saying is what lasts ultimately in the Christian life is love. Here it is. Love is the only thing that lasts. That's it. Hey, parents. Parents, look up here. Love is the only thing that lasts. I understand your fishing stories and your life principles. And here's what my granddaddy and my mama, and they talk. Love, love your granddaddy, love your mama, boo-boo, Mimi, whatever her name is. That's awesome. And those life principles are great for building character, okay? I agree with that. More spankings and hugs. That's what I, I believe in that, okay? All right? But here's what lasts. Love. That's what lasts. My dad some years ago... Um, my dad was a youth pastor over in Sykeston for one of his sort of first itinerant ministry positions when he came to know the Lord and had a young youth group and it grew and many, many years later, it was actually, I think, a 30-year anniversary from when the group of seniors graduated out of my parents' student ministry and they had like a 30-year anniversary and they showed slides of all the bell-bottoms and the long hair and what student ministry looked like back then and all of that. And what was really cool how they honored my parents is, is they went around the room and they talked about what stuck out to them as being kids in this world and having youth pastors that loved them and cared for them. Some of the kids talked about the games, the goofy games and all types of stuff. And then one guy spoke up, Marty Williams, who works for the FBI now, Marty Williams. He said, Brother Ben, I don't, I don't remember a single sermon you preached. My dad said he was just crushed, like, Marty, I pray, I, I work so hard. He said, I don't remember the games. I don't remember a lot of stuff. But I'll never forget you. I'll never forget you. I'll never forget sitting in your living room until 1230 at night and you just loving us. I'll never forget you. What was Marty saying? I'm never going to forget love. I'm never going to forget the way that you loved me. And man, I want that to be the epitaph on my headstone. Not that he preached his guts out every week or that he did this or that he did that, but the summa cum laude, the highest mark that we could ever be remembered by is love. Love is the point. Love is the picture. Love is what's permanent. And then the fourth thing is this. Love, not gifts, means progress. Here's what he says in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I find that verse comforting that the Apostle Paul wrote that, that, that he had to learn some stuff. Um, we learn in Acts chapter 10 that after the Apostle Paul met Jesus, that for three years he didn't do anything. He kind of sort of the equivalent went to seminary Bible school, if you will. For three years, didn't preach a sermon, didn't do anything. He had to learn some stuff. I find that comforting because I think the dude just hit the ground running, like making blind people see, like doing all kinds of stuff. But he, did, he had to learn some things. He had to mature. And this is massively convicting as to what he says. 
Here's what he's saying. Spiritual maturity is gauged by faithfulness, not giftedness. Did you catch that? Spiritual maturity, how mature you are in Christ. I don't care how long you've been attending church. I don't care if you've walked with Jesus for 40 years. It is not measured by your giftedness, by how you can serve, by what type of supernatural gifts that you have. It is measured by faithfulness, by faithfully walking with Jesus. And here's what the Apostle Paul is telling the church in Corinth. You could look like LeBron James on the outside. Let's just talk about giftedness, right? I mean, just a monster on the court, doing it all. I mean, you're Mr. Super... I mean, somebody needs to pray. Prayer, they're calling you. Somebody needs wisdom. They're calling you. Somebody needs something done. They're calling you. And on the outside, you are Mr. Superstar. And on the inside, you look like this. A whiny little baby. How convicting is that? That God does not look upon the outward appearance, but rather that he looks on the intentions of the heart. So it's not about how much theology that you know. And listen, I'm a Bible guy. I'm a, th- I'm a theology guy. I love that. But if it's not making my cold dried, hardened heart, softer towards the love of Jesus Christ than measured towards my love of people. We said this when we walked through the seven series. Your love for God above you is measured by your love for the person beside you. That's the gauge. And it's not measured by the people you like to love. Because here's what I found. The people who deserve deserve love the least often need love the most. So it's not measured by who's the easiest to love, but rather it's measured by the people in your circle who deserve it the least. That is what shows progress of walking with Jesus. Biblical love is better than any spiritual gift. That's how we end this. Yes, we've assimilated. You've taken spiritual gift tests. We've walked through every single spiritual gift there is. Some of you have found it for the first time. Some of you have found new insight. Some of you have been confirmed in what your gift is, and you're ready to serve and do all of those things. That doesn't mean progress. What is progress is? Is that the vehicle that leads you to the destination of loving more? Of loving Jesus and loving people around you. Love, not gifts, means progress. And then the last thing is this. Love, not gifts, is the priority. For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Can we stop for a moment? We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see him. And man, I feel it in my bones. On that day, man, when I see him and I know that it was worth it all, 
I want it. I want it. And we will see him face to face. And do you know what goes down in that moment? Do you know what goes down? Jesus will not back up and go, man, you know what? You were right about that person. Man, do you know what? You're right. They did hurt you, and you were right, and they were wrong. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You're right. I think we're probably just going to hug for a real long time. And I think it's probably going to take eternity for me to stop telling them how much I love them. I'm going to get to see those hands. I'm going to get to see that side. And in that moment, we are going to see that this was the priority the whole time. And then Paul ends with sort of this trinity. Now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest, the summa cum laude, is love. And the way that it's actually written in the original language is faith and hope hinge on love. Because hope without love is just optimism. It's just worldly optimism. Faith without love brings a level of uncertainty. But hope rooted in love and faith rooted in love, is what the Christian life is all about. You got a bracelet whenever you came in to sort of mark this sort of takeaway for you for seven weeks that we've journeyed in this. And it has Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, which is what we spent the majority of our time in, sort of the definition of the church. And I was so convicted. I spent so much time talking about prophets and all types of stuff. And that's not even the point. You know it's not even the point of Ephesians 4? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So that, do we have any English teachers in here? So that is pointing to the main clause of the entire chapter. So that it builds itself up in love. I am... One of many. And we can only answer the corporate question of is Westside a loving community by first answering the question, am I loving? Is this the point? Is this what I'm driving to? Biblical love is better than any spiritual gift. It is the summa cum laude of Christianity. I want to close with this as the band comes and leads us in a time of response. I remember being in youth and sort of learning about this. I remember our youth pastor saying, "Um, here's a great way to gauge how you're doing on this. Put your name in 1 Corinthians 13. Is Jason patient? Is Jason kind? Right? And I remember walking away going, awesome, another failure. I I don't get past the first one. Is love pet? Like, done. No, No, I'm not, right? I don't think that's the point. 
because Jesus is the point. And so it's not about putting your name in there. It's about putting Jesus' name in there. Because we only love because he first loved us. What fuels our love for one another is knowing how much God in Christ has loved you. And so here's what I want us to do as we come and we see the elements, the self-giving, self-sacrificing virtue of God, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. I want us to stand to our feet and we're going to read this passage and we're going to put Jesus' name in the passage today. So stand right where you're at. And Westside, lift your voice out loud and read this with me today. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Heavenly Father, we come before you today so grateful to know that we don't have to grasp for straws to understand what is this love thing about, but rather we look to you. We look to Calvary. God, I pray you have so many gifted people here in this body that we are one of many supernatural gifts, supernatural abilities given by you to accomplish your work. But God, may that not be the mark of Westside. May the mark and the summa cum laude of Westside be the love that we have for one another that is motivated by the love that you have for us. God, as we come to this table and as we see your love literally poured out for us, may we be convicted and may we be comforted to understand the truth that Jesus never fails. We pray this all in the holy and in the perfect name, the permanent name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you come forward and partake in the elements today as you feel led?